Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Tonight, Trump's day in courts. The prosecutions of the former and possibly future president just can't get off the ground. Will the Trump trials ever happen? And the predictable response from the left. It's just flagrant, flagrant bullpucky. Lakin laid to rest. A community comes together to pay their respects to a life allegedly taken by an illegal immigrant. Should we really believe those studies claiming immigrants commit fewer crimes? And white rural rage. We lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. A new book claims the heartland poses an existential threat to American democracy. After a decade of MAGA, what the elites still don't understand about the rest of us. We start with major breaking news on this Friday night in the multiple cases against Donald Trump. Every day the election gets closer, and every one of those days that Donald Trump can spend not on trial or without trial dates is a huge win for Trump. He got two big wins today, coming off one on Wednesday. Mr. Trump attended court today in Fort Pierce, Florida, 500 miles away. The district attorney prosecuting Trump in Georgia also appeared in court as she awaits her fate on being removed from the case altogether. That would be an enormous win for Trump. The key takeaway probably from today is that the two judges in these crucial cases against the former president aren't ready to move forward. Again, every day that Donald Trump is not on trial is a massive win for Donald Trump. Judge Eileen Cannon is overseeing the classified documents case. She declined to change the current trial date, which is set for May 20th. It's going to change. Prosecutor Jack Smith lobbied to start the trial in July. It looks like that's not going to happen. Trump's attorneys wanted to start in August. Smith also fought hard to keep the names of 40 witnesses sealed. He says Trump is going to try and intimidate them. In Georgia, the judge overseeing the election interference case there is expected to take up to two weeks to decide on removing Fawny Willis. Attorneys for Trump's co-defendant in that case, Michael Roman, hit Willis and the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, on integrity. We frankly couldn't care less if they had a personal relationship outside of work. That, that is not what the issue is here. The issue is that they began this relationship in 2019. They were dating for two years, and then she awarded him a contract where public money, either from Fulton County or the state of Georgia, ended up in his pockets. Another thing we noticed today about Donald Trump, it appears he's actually listening to his lawyers. We didn't see him once 
Stark difference from his many appearances in New York, where he often spoke to the press after court. No photo ops with his adoring fans outside of court in Florida. No stops at cafes or impromptu speeches outside of Mar-a-Lago. Every day that his trials are delayed is a victory for Donald Trump. Every single day that a jury isn't brought in, the more likely it is that his legal firestorm will not come to a head until after the November election. Trump and his team could not have had a better week. George Wills here, News Nation senior political contributor, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist. Good to see you, George, uh, as always. Uh, for those wanting to stop Donald Trump or counting on the courts to do it, time's running out, is it not? It is. And the ironic thing here is that those uh, people who are urging swiftness on the part of the Supreme Court and the D.C. Circuit Court are guilty of exactly what they're saying Mr. Trump is doing. Mr. Trump does seem to want to delay this until after the election. That's a political consideration. But his critics have their own political consideration. They're saying they want this accelerated so that trials will take place in the middle of the campaign. And they say it's somehow the Supreme Court or the D.C. Circuit Court, these courts are not cooperating for partisan reasons. They're trying to delay this. The fact is, Leland, that the primary reason this has taken so long is that the Biden Justice Department took 30 months before indicting Mr. Trump for his complicity, such as it may be, in the January 6th uh, riot. So the, everyone at this point seems to be making political considerations. And it's worth noting, Leland, a new word has entered our language, lawfare. It's the use of the law in a kind of political warfare. And it's an extremely unhealthy development for both sides. Yeah, for sure for both sides. There's this hope on the left, right? And there was this long hope that Donald Trump um, was going to be stopped by, to use your word, lawfare, 91 uh, counts against him on and on and on. And then the Republican establishment was going to stop him with uh, no less than a dozen other Republicans running for president on and on and on. And much like the predictions in 2016 of all the things that were going to stop Donald Trump, none of this seems to. It, it doesn't in part because, Leland, people are so promiscuous in, in charging the president with crimes. Pressuring the vice president, pressuring Mr. Pence, is not a crime, even if you do it on behalf of a crackpot constitutional theory. Uh, contesting an election, even if you do it with scant or negligible or no evidence, is not a crime. So th there seems to be a kind of attempt on the part of Mr. Trump's critics to throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And again, it's, it's an unwholesome development in our democracy. All of this likely is going to end up at the Supreme Court. You brought that up, that the January 6th case in D.C. is going to end up um, at the Supreme Court. There's the Colorado ballot question at the Supreme Court. You'd think that there's going to be on every one of these cases in the classified documents issue is going to end up um, at the Supreme Court. We got a preview of what's going to happen when things get to the Supreme Court on Wednesday from MSNBC. Take a listen. For you to say that this is something that the court needs to decide because it's something that's unclear in the law is just flagrant, flagrant bullpucky. And they know it. And they don't care that we know it. And that's disturbing about the future legitimacy of the court. Clarence Thomas needs 
Trump to win again so Clarence Thomas can retire. And most likely, Sam Alito needs Trump to win again so Alito can retire instead of having to die on the bench. And so that's at least two of the nine who have a vested professional interest in seeing continued Republican hegemony over this country. That word legitimacy keeps coming up. Uh, It's difficult, I guess, to have institutions, which seem to be very important to some, if you keep calling the institutions that exist illegitimate. Those commentators on MSNBC would cost MSNBC its reputation for seriousness if it had such a reputation. You're quite right. Attacking the legitimacy of courts from the left or from the right is exceedingly dangerous because... As Alexander Hamilton said when describing the Supreme Court and the judiciary as the least dangerous branch, he said, the courts have neither the sword force nor the purse, the power of money. All the courts have to guarantee compliance with their actions and their reasoning is their prestige. And when you undermine that, you're undermining the rule of law. Imagine, Leland, If in 1954, when the Supreme Court finally dealt with the extremely fraught matter of school desegregation, separate and equal, Jim Crow and all the rest, imagine if at that point the Supreme Court had been under the kind of attack that it's under today by people Hmm. consciously trying to diminish its authority. Yeah, and at times our last hope often uh, seems to be the Supreme Court in terms of the one last branch of government that actually uh, does its job as the founders envisioned it. Look, there is an issue, though, of how people view prosecution and how people view using the law against against folks and political opponents. I'm thinking about Fawny Willis in terms of legitimacy and how people will look. Uh, today was a bad day in court for Fawny Willis uh, as the uh, judge uh, was dealing with uh, her and her own attorney, who's from the district attorney's office there, was talking about whether she had a conflict because uh, she had a long-running affair with the man she hired to be the special prosecutor. Take a listen. There wasn't an actual conflict. That The defense failed to provide any sort of actual conflict uh, in relation to uh, Miss Wade's, uh, I guess, the relationship uh, that uh, transpired um, from uh, the relationship between her uh, and Mr. Wade. Uh, it's really bad when your own attorney calls you, miss the name of the person you had the affair with, but we'll put that aside. If the Fawny Willis case falls apart, meaning that she is taken off of the case, just in the, the court of public opinion, does that then have an effect of how not the political class, but just normal voters look at the Donald Trump prosecutions at all? I think so. I think it, it, it further infects the entire argument we're having with polit- political and partisan considerations. And it would mean that, that one of the four cases had gone away and two of the three remaining cases about the hush money that Mr. Trump allegedly paid to his porn star mistress and the fact that he, after being president, was non-compliant with requests for his certain be acts on part of the of the documents he has. 
Those two, two of those three cases do not involve presidential acts. So this, the, it would, I think, substantially lower the stakes and the energy and the heat surrounding all four cases. Yeah. And as you point out, uh, on, on top of it, just continues to erode trust um, in prosecutors um, as well. Mr. Will, have an awesome weekend. We appreciate it, sir. I know spring training starts soon. There are uh, fun baseball games ahead. I hope. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Some breaking news on this Friday night. Turns out most of New York's problems have been solved. The crime problem, the budget problems, huge problems in terms of all the taxpayers moving to Florida, those that can afford it. The corruption problem in New York, the migrant crisis in New York has been huge. We know this because the attorney general there, Lahita James, has moved on to other things and all of the problems that we have reported on in New York and people think about. She's moved on to things that really matter. She just filed suit against the country's largest beef producer, Amid record high food prices, James says JBS Food is misrepresenting its climate impact. Evidently, JBS Foods claim they will be carbon neutral by 2040, and Ms. James takes issue with that. We told you when James sued and won against former President Trump on those civil fraud charges that prosecutors playing politics is un-American, it's Soviet-like. Remember in the Soviet Union, show me the man and I'll find you the crime? It's sort of how James operates. We'll have a lot more on James and the other big problems in New York that she's tackling on Monday. You can read about it all in War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Our thoughts on the most important stories of the day. We have some of your responses that we'll read a little later in the show. You can also check in with us on social media at Leland Vittert on Twitter and Instagram. Next, as Lake and Riley is laid to rest, we challenge the talking point we often use ourselves. Do immigrants actually commit fewer crimes than native-born Americans? It's an important question. And later, new polling shows Trump up in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina. I could go on, but the same polling has many asking why Trump isn't up even more. The hidden vote when we come back. Friends and family gathered in Woodstock, Georgia. You can see the rain coming down. Match the mood. To say goodbye to Lake and Riley, the 22-year-old nursing student allegedly killed by an illegal immigrant. Our reporting shows multiple arrests in the past few weeks of illegal immigrants for sexual assault, crimes against children, and the like. Not to mention the videotape beating of New York City police officers a few weeks ago. In many cases, these cities have sanctuary city laws. So therefore... If you didn't have sanctuary cities, these people wouldn't even be in the United States. Former President Trump makes the border a big part of his pitch. They're coming from jails and they're coming from prisons and they're coming from mental institutions and they're coming from insane asylums and they're terrorists. They're being led into our, our country and uh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Not so, says open border enthusiasts. They love to quote studies showing immigrants commit crimes at a lower rate than native-born Americans. Somehow TV anchors and journalists accept those findings as a fact of life, much like the sun rising in the east. And we also found ourselves saying the same thing. Immigration 
advocates will tell you, and it's true, that immigrants create and commit crimes at a lower rate than the rest of the population. We know that immigrants create, uh, uh, commit crimes at a lower rate than the general public does. Look, it's important to point out not all immigrants are criminals and on and on and on. But at the Indeed, same time, they have a very good record they do, right. to the native population. All right. So there are studies showing this, like one from the Cato Institute by Alex Norasta. Texas homicide conviction rates by immigration status. Native board Americans, 2.8%. Illegal immigrants, 2.4%. Legal immigrants, 1.1%. The studies are fairly specific. The data nationwide is hard to come by. So now we bring in the source, Alex Narasta, co-author of Wretched Refutes, The Political Economy of Immigration Institutions. Welcome. We're glad to see you. All right. I, I'm not going to dispute the data here, right? But this was... Texas, this was specific to the crime of homicide, was it not? Yes. Okay. So if we zoom out, can we now extrapolate and say with certitude that on a nationwide scale, illegal immigrants commit crimes at a lower rate than the native-born population? So we only have this data for the state of Texas. And I have it for other crimes, but it's not as believable or as good for other crimes. But what we also find is that we try to estimate the illegal immigrant population in prisons nationwide. The rates line up pretty well with what the data in Texas show. So we can't say for certainty. I wouldn't bet my life on it, but the evidence that we have so far that's available does show that, and it's very likely nationwide as well. All right, there's lies, damn lies in statistics, right? So, <laughs> yeah. and, and I say that, uh, with admiration for the Cato Institute because of the work you guys do. It's fair-minded. I'm glad you're looking um, at the data here. So I think about that in what you're saying, prison population, fine. But then you go to New York City, right, where we know that there are organized retail theft gangs mm -hmm. coming up from South America that are looting stores left, right, and center, beating up cops, and not even getting arrested. So how can we then say, oh, okay, even this group isn't getting arrested, but they're committing crimes at a lower rate. So New York is a very different jurisdiction. They have a lot of different problems with this. The good thing about studying Texas, where we have the best data on this, is that Texas doesn't have laws like that. There aren't sanctuary jurisdictions. Uh, cops, police there still enforce a lot of these laws really well. Texas isn't known for being a state soft on crime, and they're the only one that keep this kind of data. So it, this may vary in different jurisdictions. It may vary based on the local laws. It may vary based on the immigrant population. But in the places where we have the best data, uh, this is result is what we get. So, well, we have the best data, but we also have the best law enforcement. As you point out, the laws are actually enforced. So if we just extrapolate this out to, say, New York, where you have sanctuary cities, uh, Illinois, Chicago, big sanctuary cities, also big crime problems. Um, would a jurisdiction being soft on crime and a sanctuary city make it more or less likely uh, that the Texas data isn't uh, predictive. So what's interesting is there was a big uh, spike in crime uh, beginning in 2019, 2020, 2021, moderated, and now it's started to come down in the last year or so, even in big cities like New York and Chicago, when the illegal immigrant population in Chicago in these countries has gone up considerably. So if there were a spike in there from, say, a crime like homicides, which is the best to study to get an accurate picture of crime, uh, we would be seeing that, I think, right now. Now, that doesn't mean that they 
may commit fewer crimes in every way or every type of crime less than native-born Americans, but for the ones we have the best information for, which is homicide, which is also the worst crime, um, it, it does indicate that uh, they are not a contributor to crime much in the United States. Okay, so how is it, though, that you then can we ex- go a step further? That argument is used to mm. then say, oh, well, we should have sanctuary cities. We shouldn't treat illegal immigrants different, on and on and on. But if someone has an ICE detainer, meaning they're already lined up for deportation, and they commit another crime, and they are not turned over to ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, by a local police department in New York or anywhere else, isn't one of the more sort of obvious predictors of future criminal behavior past criminal arrests? Yes, that's right. And that's why I think uh, sanctuary jurisdictions that let out violent and property offenders uh, are a terrible idea. I understand, I understand the argument for much smaller crimes or victimless crimes because you want people to be able to cooperate with the police. But for violent and property offenses, I think it makes no sense. Illegal immigrants should be punished if they commit violent property offenses and removed from the United States. Real quick, when you hear people who advocate for open borders fully, which Mm -hmm. I don't hear you doing, Mm -hmm. cite your study and go, oh, well, illegal aliens uh, commit crimes at a lower rate than the native population. There's no problem here. Are, Are they being fair to your study? So I think what they're pointing out is one of the things in the study, right, is illegal immigrants actually have the lowest crime yeah, rate, crime right. rate of all. So if you want to vastly expand legal immigration, I don't think there's a, a criminal argument against that at all. So I don't think they're being unfair by doing that. And I myself want to expand legal immigration considerably. But I think it's an important point that if we have a mass deportation policy in the United States to try to reduce crime, it's not going to have that much of an effect hmm. because these individuals are less likely to commit at the most serious crimes. Fascinating. Alex, really appreciate it. Thank awesome. you for having awesome me. Awesome conversation. Coming up next, white rage. And it is not a band from the 80s. It's all about the rage. Well, and it is all the rage to talk about white rage on MSNBC. The authors that discovered this new phenomenon come on to tell us why rural whites are a real threat to America. They're the most racist xenophobic, anti-immigrant, and anti-gay geodemographic group in the country. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. They're the most racist, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, and anti-gay geodemographic group in the country. Second, they're the most conspiracist group. Third, anti-democratic sentiments. They don't believe in an independent press. Fourth, they are most likely to excuse or justify violence as an acceptable alternative to peaceful public discourse. Those are the authors of the new book, Rule White Rage. 
which is described from Amazon, a searing portrait and damning takedown of America's proudest citizens, who are also the least likely to defend its core principles. Paul Waldman, Tom Schaller is with us now. Gentlemen, we appreciate it. Thank you. Good to Thank see you. you. Thank uh, you. Look, congratulations. Tuesday, the book came out. We've seen the reaction. Uh, Fox News, you guys are a bunch of elitist snobs, I think is <laughs> right. a fair characterization. MSNBC calls you uh, patriots. Uh, I won't do either, but I am a little skeptical. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start with the title, Rage. Uh, would upset, frustration, anger have been fair? How'd you get to rage? Well, it's really white world resentment, which is a known measurable, quantifiable term in the social science literature among sociologists and political science. It's been measured by people like Katherine Kramer in her book, uh, The Politics of Resentment, about rural voters in Wisconsin. But to be perfectly honest, we'll confess, you know, booksellers like short yep. titles, like Blink, right, from, uh, uh, what's his name, or, or Nudge. And so white rural rage is three words and five syllables, and white rural resentment just makes a lot more noise. We don't really use the word rage throughout. We're talking about white rural resentment, which is a demonstrable and quantifiable uh, phenomena in rural America. Okay, so you guys have quantified it. You wrote a lot about it. I would argue that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama probably talked about it before you guys were writing about it. Take a listen. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> and they feel so betrayed by government. Well, it's not surprising then that they I guess you could add to that, President Biden right now is to become ultra MAGA. Is that probably fair? Are Democrats missing an opportunity by ridiculing this group of people rather than trying to embrace them? I don't think Democrats are ridiculing them. And you'll notice that. Uh, in those clips, everybody remembers those, right? Because a Democrat said something that, taken out of context or clipped in some way, could be seen as really uncomplimentary to people who live in small towns or rural voters. And they got no end of grief for it. But Republicans can say things that attack people in cities and the people who vote for Democrats all the time, and nobody ever blinks an eye. And in fact, they often get rewarded for it. You know, you play that clip from Barack Obama. If you look at the whole thing, what he said was that people in small towns and rural areas have felt like both parties aren't providing uh, them the benefits that they deserve. They're not helping them economically. And that's why they turn to these kind of culture war issues to help define their political identity. It was absolutely right. Now, you can argue about how he phrased it and things like that. But it was actually uh, an accurate diagnosis of what's going on in small-town America. Can I just add a little piece? J.D. Vance, when he ran for senator, this is a guy who criticized Trump when he ran in 2016. But then he wanted to be a senator. And what did he say? I've got to go to New York City, a city he'd been to many times. This is the horse whisperer to rural America. And he said, is it more like season one or season four of The Walking Dead? In other words, he criticized New York City as essentially a zombie apocalypse. Now imagine Chuck Schumer, the Democratic majority leader, said, I've got to go to a fundraiser in southwest Ohio where J.D. Vance lives, not in downtown city, Cincinnati, which has a higher per capita crime rate than New York City. Let me finish. He lives in a 1.4 million gated community home in the suburbs of Cincinnati. And Chuck Schumer said, I've got to go to southwest Ohio, do I bring my own meth and overalls if he trafficked in the worst and unfair and incorrect racial stereotypes about white rural voters, he would have been crucified. But J.D. Vance does that, and he gets rewarded with a Senate seat. Look, the way everybody talks about this is important, and I I think you make a good point. This, I think you guys uh, cited this, rural versus urban values. 68% of rural residents say urban Americans exhibit different values. 
48% of urbanites describe rural Americans as having values different from them. Right. Uh, having come from rural America, I would argue, I don't know who who's saying no to this because it makes sense to me. But if you think about rule rage, let's just say it exists, or resentment, whatever you want to call it on these cultural war issues. Why are people who say criminals who should be deported, who are illegal aliens, who are to commit crimes should be deported? Well, now they're xenophobic. If you say, I want people who commit crimes in big cities locked up, you're racist. If I want my little girl to play on a sports team with only little girls and not big boys or even little boys, I'm anti-gay. Why does telling people you're anti-gay, you're xenophobic, and you're racist for having those beliefs not make them rageful? Well, look, we have dozens and dozens of polls and studies that we cite, and you will look in vain if you're looking in our book for any kind of ad hominem or insults. That's not our goal. What we are talking about is a real political problem. And one of the things that happens in rural America is that, you know, people always say, oh, well, the Democrats have abandoned it. And that's largely true. But you know what? Republicans have abandoned rural America, too. They keep getting elected, but they're not doing anything to actually help the voters in rural America. Like, you had, they had Donald Trump, the person who is uh, more popular in rural America than any politician ever has been. Uh, is the, rural, the economy of rural America better after four years of him in office? Do they have better infrastructure? Do they have better schools? Do they have more economic opportunity? No, but, and, the, and the fact is they have been told over and over again that, that their political engagement should be about anger and it shouldn't be about demanding from the about, people they elect that they about, have some accountability about, for what, what actually they produce polling. for them. You talk about polling. Okay, I remember, you talk about polling, though. I remember before the pandemic, okay, so three years into the Trump presidency, I remember going to rural America. I remember going to my home state of Missouri. Everyone was talking about how much better the economy was doing. The, the economy was doing better. Right. That's okay, fine. so you just said it wasn't. And Donald Trump didn't do anything for those people. Rural economies are actually going in the opposite direction. If you read the Paul Krugman piece about our book, rural economies are lagging behind. Rural counties... They are now. <clears throat> no, they well, have been for decades. Been, they have been for decades. It's been decimation by late-stage capitalism, right? It isn't socialism that destroyed rural America. It's technological change. We created mountaintop removal, and so we take the top of coal mines off, and we giant, giant scoop the coal out instead of sending guys down in, 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 uh, in, in holes with pickaxes and shovels. That eliminated the job. Technology, not socialism, not some woke college professor, not Black Lives Matter. What destroyed all the mom-and-pop shops? Why are there all dollar generals and family dollar stores? Because of capitalism ran those small mom-and-pop shops. Yeah, well, Walmart, okay. Them, no, right? so I guess and there are places in rural America that are doing better. Some of them are because they have some kind of a resource that, like, say, that can attract tourists, some of them because they've welcomed immigrants. But overall, rural America is losing population and they're really suffering economically. Right. And what they're being told uh, so, in, in a lot of media places and from Republican politicians is that you don't have to expect anything better. Okay, so you, you should just make, be angry at Democrats. Okay, so you guys make the point, though, that this is a threat to America of some type, correct? Sure. Okay. So you make also make the point that it is the elites in in America or in Washington have created this problem. Don't they have a responsibility to solve it rather than demonize it? Yeah. Here's the funny thing. If anything goes wrong in cities and you turn on conservative talk radio or conservative television networks, they say the Democrats and the minorities and the white liberals in the cities are responsible and the people that they elected. Point conceded, right? That's what representative government is. But if you live in a rural county in southeast Missouri where you're from, right, your town superintendent, your sheriff, your state assemblyman, your state senator, your U.S. congressman, your two U.S. senators, and when Trump and Prince were in the White House, you're, you're represented from the presidency to the sheriff by not just Republicans, but conservative white male Republicans. 
So how come when things go wrong in rural America, nobody blames well, them? They I, I blame guess the I would, I would, and the minorities and the Democrats. America. They blame Obama for it. But, but I went to South, Southeast Missouri during the Trump administration to do this story. And what I found was is that everybody to a T told me that their lives were better and the economy was better. But if rural America is doing worse, whose responsibility is that? Democrats and liberals in the cities or the politicians that they elect who are overwhelmingly Republican, conservative white men from the presidency to the dog catcher? Don't we have responsibility to elect officials who help solve our problems? You make that same standard for cities, you have to hold conservative... Uh, who, I'm sorry, hasn't a Democrat been the president the last three years? No, but I'm talking about when Trump was in office. Top and, to bottom. And there are some places that are doing better and some places doing worse. But overall, the picture is, is absolutely incontrovertible. People have worse health un- outcomes in rural America. They have a poor infrastructure. They have to go farther to get to a hospital. Their roads are in worse shape. And they, what we end the book with is by saying you need to have a movement that holds politicians in both parties accountable. So it's not just enough to say we're going to give you the culture war stuff. They have to say to the people that they elect, we're going to come back in four years and we're going to see whether you've actually done these things and fixed I could, these problems. I could have this conversation for the rest of the show. You guys do enough TV to know we've got to run. I would love to have you on in the next couple of weeks again, though, and keep going. All right? Sounds great. Lily. Hey, this was awesome. Thank Cheers. you very Thanks much, you. gentlemen. Thank Cheers. you. Live pictures of the White House on a Friday evening. There's the book. You can see White Rule Rage on Amazon. Friday evening at the White House, where they say a good State of the Union address. You can almost see the scribes burning the midnight oil. Could it turn things around for President Biden? Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The United States will do more. In the coming days, we're going to join with our friends in Jordan and others from providing airdrops of, of uh, additional food and supplies into Ukraine. That would be news, of course. American planes flying over Ukraine could be shot down by the Russians, start a war. President Biden later clarified and confirmed the story we told you about last night. American C-17s will soon airdrop supplies into Gaza, called the world's most expensive photo op. The entire Air Force couldn't drop enough food to feed Gaza. So this is about President Biden's base that overwhelmingly disapproves of his policy towards Israel and Gaza so he can say he is doing something, a base he hopes to shore up next week with his State of the Union speech. The White House reportedly thinks a strong showing in prime time will make up for the recent gaffes and new concerns about his age. Chris Steyerwalt is here, host of The Hill Sunday, premiering 10 a.m. Eastern. There he is right here on News Nation. Congratulations. Uh, Ratings will be similar to Biden's State of the Union and the premier of the Hill. Huge. People, yep. are, people are saying Many Super, said. Bowl, Super Bowl's number may fall once we get the air, once we get control of the air here at News Nation HQ in Washington. All right. Who has higher expectations, Biden or you, this week? Well, here's the, here's the thing. I have no expectations for myself, and surely people who have followed my career over decades have no expectations for me. So we're playing with house money. It's going to be great. All right. It is going to be great. I, 
you, you, I'm assuming you are looking forward to the coming week and the State of the Union? Sure. I mean, I hate the State of the Union as an institution. It's a hideous institution. Uh, and it was invented, as we understand it, by Lyndon Johnson in 1964 uh, to put a stamp on uh, the legitimacy of his presidency that he had inherited only the November before, uh, and he turned it into a primetime spectacle, and it's the pits. Uh, it was bad then uh, because it was about performance, not policy or real politics. Now in a politics that is only performance, right? It's only about messaging and it's only about spin. What do we need the State of the Union for? Every day is the State of the Union. See, I feel as though this is why the Hill has a chance to be successful, because no Washington wonk will actually say that. My crabbiness? You feel that my crabbiness could be the key to our our massive success? I was going to say that it's going to be sincerity. Oh, well. And truthfulness. You know, I do do think this. Um, There is an audience of people. There are a number of Americans, and I know that I meet them, and they buy my books, and they come and hear me talk. I don't know how many of them there are. But there are lots of Americans who are basically burned out on rage. They're basically burned out on the premise that to understand politics or look at government or do that stuff, not only do you have to pick a team, but that everything has to be boiled down into a reductive, we're good, you're bad, we're good, you're evil. Uh, and that's, uh, that's not good enough for a country this great. And I think there are lots of people out there who would like to dip a toe back into the waters of political coverage uh, without having to feel like they have to take a shower. An interesting metaphor for Sunday morning. Um, Bloomberg swing state polling. Uh, former President Trump is up in all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is it possible, though, to cover a presidential race that unless there is some odd actuarial event between now and November, is likely going to be between two of the most unpopular people who then dig for the bottom. Um, So I I won't quibble about the morning consult's quality of polling. Uh, I will say that that poll, though, I wouldn't, I'm I'm not going to poo-poo it because it is directionally correct, which is to say uh, that the incumbent president is really struggling. Uh, and he's really struggling. Look, I don't think that uh, that's really what Pennsylvania looks like, but Pennsylvania shouldn't be close, right? Michigan shouldn't be that close. And what shouldn't be that close for Trump or for Biden? Shouldn't be that close for Biden. Those are states Biden uh, should win, and he won Michigan by more than 100,000 votes uh, before. Here's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out two things. Number one, are the Biden protesters, are the people who are upset at Biden for being too far to the center when it comes to Israel, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to those other things, who are mad at him for being moderate, will they be frightened back into the Democratic Mm -hmm. Party fold by the idea of of Trump returning to power? Here's the other thing we don't know. What will the Nikki Haley kind of Republicans do? So it's all fun and games until you say, okay, no, this is really happening. We've been talking about and people have been dreading now for two years this rematch. We, the social psychological component of this, once you get into the actual election and people are actually confronted with this, when, it, when the rubber hits the road, uh, then people have uh, harder choices to make. Social psychological politics and coffee with Chris Steyerwell, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. It's gonna, it, uh, the coffee is black, much like the forecast for people's uh, enjoyment of listening to the State of the Union. <laughs> There's the tease, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations. Thanks, boss. Thank you, my friend. You. Coming up next, uh, for all the talk about what's happening inside Gaza, all the suffering, which is real, 
Why don't we hear about the hostages anymore? Play and Alexa. I need some extra money. Do I qualify for the earned income tax credit? Use the EITC assistant tool. With just a little information, this tool helps you calculate eligibility with ease and accuracy. Get an estimate of how much credit you qualify for and get a printout of your results before you prepare your return or visit your tax preparer. To use the EITC assistant tool and see if you're eligible to claim a credit, visit irs.gov/eitc. Every moment counts if you're at risk or living with lung cancer. And anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. It causes more cancer deaths than breast, colon, and prostate combined. And while there may be moments where you question your next step, through it all, GoTo for Lung Cancer is here for you. We are your community. For screening, treatment, and survivorship support, GoTo is your go-to. Confronting lung cancer starts here. Visit goto.org. Now you can discover the mysteries of ham radio. Using modern transceivers, you can make friends all over the world, even talk to astronauts in space, ships on the high seas, and flying aircraft thousands of miles away. Unlike phone users, ham radio operators talk absolutely free and provide vital communications during disasters or emergencies. To find out more about ham radio, visit us at ARRL.org. And remember, unlike the Internet, we crisscross the entire globe wirelessly. Every child deserves the best teachers, facilities, and academic programs to set them up for success. At Milton Hershey School in Hershey, Pennsylvania, we make that a reality for children from qualifying families who are looking for greater opportunities. Milton Hershey School enrolls students from pre-K through 12th grade from across the United States to live and learn on a beautiful state-of-the-art campus with all costs covered. Are you looking to set your child up for success or know a child who could benefit from Milton Hershey School? Learn more at mhskids.org admissions. Get fact-based, unbiased news coverage 24-7 on the News Nation app or on Alexa, say, Play News Nation. Only one in five people with autism are employed, despite many having the skill set and desire to work. Maybe it's because employers don't know what kind of jobs they can do. Like, what about a programmer? That's a job for someone with autism. Uh, how about a healthcare worker? Yep. That is too. People with autism can do a lot of different jobs, but often get overlooked due to outdated stigmas. Introducing WIN by Autism Speaks. We help businesses lead the way in inclusive hiring. What about a ranch hand? Yeah. To learn more, go to autismspeaks.org slash WIN. Over the last few years, things have got weird. And for our kids, these things can be overwhelmingly stressful. Scientific research and real life experience tell us that the number one antidote to stress is authentic, trusted relationships. So that's why I... That's why I... That's why I am committed to building and maintaining a trusted space. This is a trusted space. Access free films and resources to build trusted spaces in your schools and communities at atrustedspace.org. I'm Scarlett Johansson. My family relied on public assistance to help provide meals for us. These meals fueled my involvement in theater and the arts as a child, which fostered my love for acting. The Feeding America network of food banks helps millions of people put food on the table. You can join the movement to end hunger by donating, volunteering, and advocating. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished. Join the movement to end hunger at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. D.C.'s definitive source for nonpartisan political news, combined with America's fastest-growing cable news network. 
Hello and welcome to The Hill. News Nation's The Hill, now at a new time. Weeknights at 6, 5 central. We are following two major breaking news events. Don't miss News Nation's The Hill. Weeknights at 6, 5 central on News Nation. This is fluid, this is historic, and we'll take you through it. And to find News Nation on your screen, go to joinin.com. Our favorite shirtless politician, probably yours too, used to be Vladimir Putin. But Eric Havdi running to unseat Senator Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin just one-upped him. Baldwin's campaign has accused Havdi of being a carpetbagger from out of state. The big knock on him is that he owns a mansion in California. Well, Havdi found a way to try and illustrate just how much of a true Wisconsin badger he really is. It's good to get out of here for a good cold plunge. So the Dems and Senator Baldwin keep saying I'm not from Wisconsin, <laughs> which is a complete joke. All right, Senator Baldwin, why don't you get out here in this frozen lake and let's really see who's from Wisconsin. I hope everyone has a great day. Take care. Probably be a quick conversation in the frozen lake. You said politics can't be fun. If he wins, maybe John Fetterman will loan him a hoodie. Before we go for the weekend, your thoughts on the craziest news of the week. Dan Howell writes on Twitter, just watched your segment on disinformation. It was really good. I constantly hear from certain folks that we need to stop disinformation. Yet, as you stated, who decides? Social media banned people who questioned COVID policies in the U.S. Yet Europe has many policies that differed. Were they spreading disinformation? Keep up the great work. Yours is my favorite news show at 6 p.m. Dan, thank you. Spot on. Bias isn't having an opinion. It's excluding ones. When you start excluding things, you get in trouble. People should ask why. Favorite show at 6 p.m. sounds like you're watching the Central Time Zone, perhaps the Midwest, where I'm from, and we're glad to have you along. John Underwood. Thanks, Leland. I get really tired and bored with news people telling me what an utter failure the Biden regime is when I know full well they've carried out Obama's agenda to the letter. Well, let me rephrase that. They've carried out Obama's agenda to the extent their limited intelligence will permit. Yikes. It's kind of harsh, John. One could argue the Biden agenda is far more progressive than Obama ever dreamed he could be. That said, I think the administration knows exactly what they are doing. To that point, Bo replied to Wednesday's war notes. Update, the system worked about the illegal immigrant accused of killing Lake and Riley. We said the system worked. Quote, so, the liberals behind policy changes in sanctuary cities did not design it to benefit criminals, but their kind intentions clearly have negative consequences with criminals exploiting it. They are wrong again, but to say it is intentional, is irresponsible, feels like you are making money dividing people, which I hate to see out of the only network I like. The system worked. How about the system works for criminals? It's a fair point, Bo. I was saying that there wasn't a system failure. At no part did the system that was designed fail. Lake and Riley's alleged killer didn't slip through the cracks. Terry writes in response to yesterday's war notes, Leland, thanks for setting the record straight on the situation in Gaza. Your competitors like CNN and MSNBC are always quick to blame Israel for everything. Your four years based in Israel makes you much more qualified to understand the situation. I DVR your show every night and have recommended your show to friends and relatives. Look forward to it tonight. Terry, thanks for watching. Thanks for your trust. The Gaza situation is horrific. Moral clarity, though, is a real thing. There are absolute rights and wrongs in this world. We don't see the world left versus right, but we do see it right versus wrong. And as we head into the weekend, most of the media is going to tell you to think about the Palestinians suffering above ground in Gaza. There's 
airlifts of aid to them. The C-17s will be flying over. Because of Hamas's brutal rule, well, most of that aid will end up in the hands of Hamas. The only hope would be that there were some tracking devices put in the aid to maybe find the hostages. As we reported, the U.S. will engage in the world's most expensive photo op to airdrop those few pallets of supplies. We're going to be thinking this weekend, though, about the hostages. About 100 are thought to be alive underground in Gaza, subject to torture and rape, held now for about five months. Most of them have not seen sunlight in that time. The conditions they are held in are horrific in every sense of the word. So anytime someone talks about a ceasefire, consider this. There's one group looking for those hostages and fighting for them. So if your son or daughter, your father, your mother, your sister, was underground in those tunnels being tortured and raped by Hamas, would you want those looking for them to stop? Would you want there to be any kind of ceasefire until they came home? Something to think about for the weekend. We'll see you on Monday at 7 p.m. Until then, here's Chris. Have a great weekend. All right, everybody. Happy Friday. I'm Chris Cuomo. Uh, We start with some very troubling news. Another gruesome crime that may be traced back to the border issue. A woman's head and other body parts were found scattered yesterday in a New York park. 